All right, good morning. It's uh, great to see you all here this morning. Um, yeah, it was great, great um, all of life interview there with Josh Welty. He told me before this, good luck hollowing me. And um, I, I, man, I agree, actually. And don't be fooled by the mad scientist look, by the way, which he definitely is nailing, pulling off really well. Um, he also, he ran an ultra marathon um, last year sometime, so... He's hardcore. He's not just a nerdy smart guy. He's also really athletic. Um, but yeah, that was great. Just such good. I, I love those. Getting this really good, um, really good perspective on God's work in, in um, all of life. So um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption uh, Tucson. And um, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I just want to give you all a, a heads up. I have a stutter. It kind of comes in and out as, uh, as I go. And um, pretty sure it got worse last night from watching the uh, Oregon's court. Any of you that saw that, that nasty court just, I think, is messing with my brain and making my speech impediment worse. But um, anyway, there it is. It'll kind of come in and out as we go. We're going to get into our time in um, Ephesians chapter 1 um, pretty quickly and kind of good news. We only have a couple more weeks in chapter 1. So that's cool. But um, this has been really shaping for us. So go ahead and turn with me there in your Bibles if you have one. If you don't have one and um, you would like one, which I would encourage, would you uh, hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and understand and follow along with. And if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Y en español, si quieres la Biblia y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Uh, y esta mañana estamos en Efesios capítulo 1. Um, so um, while those are getting handed out and we're all turning there, I want to remind us, I don't know if we have a slide here, but um, we are um, that uh, David Wagner, it was introduced last week as an elder candidate and um, he's walked through a long process to kind of come to this point where we're planning on installing him as an elder um, next Sunday. But as we announced last week, we want to do uh, give kind of due diligence to give opportunity to the con- congregation. If anyone has any issue or any concern, um, to by all means come and let myself or Alex Tovar the one whose son was up here on stage earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, if you want to let um, Alex, which I've, my kids have definitely done the same. So, um, but anyway, come and let one of us know. And, and to be clear, this doesn't mean if you want to like cast a vote, we're not, we don't do a vote or anything like that. But this also doesn't mean if you want to affirm David Wagner, we know and assume kind of that people affirm him and, 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 and lo- lo- love him. But this is more if you have issue or any concern to come and let us know. All right, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord um, through his spirit to oversee our time here together in his word. Lord, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we can spend together um, in it. We confess even the last number of weeks have been incredibly challenging and and yet also I, I trust shaping because you say in your word that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. So, Lord, even in this time, um, I confess and, um, and we communally and corporately ask that um, you would shape us, Lord, that we are prone to wander, that we are prone to want to use your word to, uh, Lord, to fit our own agenda. 
And so we ask right now that you would um, use, Lord, through your spirit, use your word to, to humble us, to shape us, to inform who we are and how we live uh, under your good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Ephesians 1, I'm going to actually read verse 12 just to kind of set some context for us and then get into verse 13 as well, because as we talked about last week, um, these are connected. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, there's some big words there, some big theology. We've been pressing into this stuff the last couple of weeks, and right, we've kind of talked about getting into the weeds, and then every once in a while we look up and we kind of, you know, take in the whole landscape, and now that needs to inform where we are in, in, in every kind of minute detail. And let me, let me ask as we start, as we get into our time here, how does the person and work of Jesus inform who you are and your everyday life? Whether it's things you've done and how you relate with them, how you view about them, things that you've done in your, in your life before, if it's, if it's things that have been done to you in ways that that informs how you view yourself, how does the person and work of Jesus his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, and right now his current present rule over all things and his declaration, even as we've seen here, of what that means for you and for me, chosen to be adopted as his children. How, how does that inform real everyday life for you? How does that inform um, perhaps you are someone who, who consistently feels like in a community, like you're on the outside looking in. You come even here, even to a church, or perhaps in some cases especially, and you feel anxiety and, and worry, and you wonder, how do I fit in? Like, no one really knows me. No one really wants to know me. The, these massive life questions that where perhaps you feel completely out of control or perhaps you're on the other side of the spectrum and you are a complete control freak and yet deep down you actually recognize or maybe you don't recognize but you need to perhaps through the sermon um right hey however we can help that you actually have no control right that you're actually completely out of control and yet you live your life trying to control everything. I'm, the last couple months, by the way, have revealed this about myself, and, and you feel like, man, what do I do with this? Well, in that moment, okay, all those different things, let's, let's consider, let's give space here in church, which we ought to be able to do all the time, to recognize how much does Jesus, and what I believe of Jesus, and what I declare with my mouth to be true of Jesus, how much does that really inform me, my relationships, my life? Well, what we see here as we wrap up this kind of chorus of praise, right? We've been, we've, we've um, read through, and as I, as I explained, the, the, these um, between verses 3 and verse 14 in the Greek is 202 words of just nonstop, no punctuation, no commas, no anything, just a declaration of praise and of worship and of adoration of this is God and this is what it means to be his people and this is how who he is and what he's done informs our lives. And so as we wrap this up, the big idea that I want us to get this morning, I want us to walk away with this morning is that we understand that God's people 
are sealed together by his spirit for a glorious inheritance in Christ. And that was, that was given, and this is kind of summed up so that we would live our lives right now in light of that reality. And every one of those words is incredibly intentional and flows out of this passage so that God's people, his people, would be sealed together by his spirit for a glorious inheritance in Christ. Okay, so that's what we see, and let's kind of unpack that together as we walk through his word. Again, as I said in verse 12, um, we ended last week by saying, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ. That's almost certainly, I would say there's some different, um, different thoughts on this, but given what we know about what's going on in, in the Ephesian church right now, we who are the first to believe is um, referring to the Jewish people. Okay, God's people chosen to be a light to the nations, to be a blessing to the entire world. Um, in Genesis chapter 12, we see that God declares to Abraham, who's the father of the Israelites, he says, through you, one name will come that will bless the entire, uh, entire world and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. We see it fulfilled in Philippians chapter two that, that, that at the name of Jesus, okay, so that through the, the first, okay, the, the Israelites, that they would be God's people, not just for themselves, but in order to be a blessing to the entire nations. And so Paul, the author of this, who is Jewish himself, is saying, so that you, who are the first to believe, no, actually he says we, because he's Jewish. We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also. Again, just a, so even though we had seven days right between that and now, now he's talking to like the non-Jewish people. Which again, we could miss in our day right now. We could totally miss this. Be like, yeah, Jewish, Gentile, whatever. You know, I have friends on my soccer team. My, my son's soccer coach is, um, he's not Jewish, but his wife and kids are. And he and I were just, you know, to, talking about this. And it's, you know, all these things. And we kind of live in that world. But we miss that in, in this day, it was everything. Like, they, you couldn't read this and just skip right past it like we are prone to do. That this is, this is a declaration of God and his powerful unifying work through the person and work of Jesus that, that Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead and, and declaring it is finished as he hung on the cross is saying the disunity between God and his people has now been overcome through Jesus who is unifying through him, through faith in him and him alone. There can be reconciliation to God, our creator, and through his people, that the disunity, the brokenness, the shame, the, the mistrust that entered in when sin, which essentially means not God, means no thanks God, we wanna look at ourselves, we wanna go by our own agenda, we wanna serve ourselves and the people closest to us and we don't wanna derive who we are and what we do from you. Okay, so this is sin, there's a disunity, a disjointedness, and yet we see here that a result of the gospel is that, is the, as, as Paul says here, we are those who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also. And as we, we talked some about last week from R R Revelation chapter seven, we get a picture of this 
It says, salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb who sits on the throne. And then it goes on and it talks about people from every tribe and tongue and nation and that in Christ and in Christ alone, there is now no more dividing wall, no more hostility. There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor master. There is neither male nor female. Hey, there's neither wealthy nor, nor, nor poor. And now what that means is not, and especially in this context where all those things were very relevant and very present, this doesn't mean there's no longer, like for example, male and f- female, like those don't actually exist. But it means that, that as God designed us to be, that we would reflect him in, in wholeness and in oneness and in purity. And there would no longer be any kind of division because in that day to be male meant to have a higher socioeconomic status than to be female or any of these other, again, in certain contexts, to be Jewish meant to have a higher social status, meant you got greater privileges in the temple and how you related with non-Jewish people, like they could make you unclean so you stayed away and all these kinds of things. And I just want to acknowledge too something as we even talk about this, and I don't have an image this week to help us look at, because last week I, 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 I showed an image um, from Jan and Herbert Van Eck, um, we talked about, which is from the 1400s, and it is a picture of this. It's meant to communicate this good news of all of God's people, every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together around the throne of Jesus. And yet the picture didn't really reflect that. Actually, a good friend um, in love kind of just pointed that out, and it was something that I, I missed, though we cared deeply about that, about the diversity of God's people, the eclectic tapestry is some of the language that we use here. Um, of God's people coming together in this idea, and yet that image didn't really reflect that. And so, which was very helpful for me to hear, and I confess that, you know, to you, that wasn't helpful for us to look at an image that's supposed to communicate something, but actually communicates the opposite. And I, even as I looked, it's like, ah, there's a couple of slightly dark guys, but it was like, honestly, it was just a bunch of like Swedish or Norwegian, I don't know, you know, Europeans coming around. And so I looked, I was looking for another image, like, oh, okay, this will be helpful, redemptive to get a, a help, more helpful image. And I couldn't find one. First of all, like, in all honesty, Jesus looks more and more like Fabio in every picture, the, the younger, the newer it gets. Like, as I looked for newer ones even, it was like, surely there's got to be something. It was all like, you know, surfer Jesus with, you know, like an all bunch of white people around him. And that's not, that's just not the reality of what's going on here in the Word. And I even say that, okay, to charge. I know we have some really gifted artists among us, okay? So there you go. There's your commission, okay? Get to work. Um, Let's come up with some more helpful images there. And, um, but, but again, the big idea to see here is to not miss that this, this reality of the unity that Jesus brings of calling Jew and Greek to himself and now being one people in him cannot be overlooked. It's, it flows throughout all of Ephesians, all the massive theology, right, that we've looked at and that we've been looking at, the weeds that we're in and all these different things and these words that we've had to r- wrestle with. I've even talked to someone this mo- morning and we, we say the words because it's what's in scripture and we look at predestination and chosen and inheritance and adoption and all these massive things that make our minds hurt and then we see the bigger idea again is is the glory of God through the rule of Jesus over his people called together as one. 
And that idea of being found in Christ shows up all throughout. If even I encourage you, even now perhaps, to just look through verses three through 14, you see in Christ or in him shows up so many times, like constantly, even in these two verses that we're looking at right now this morning. And then this idea is that we are in him. Again, there's a unity. There's a mystery, a beautiful mystery as has been called by uh, church fathers before this beautiful mystery of what it means to be one with Christ and then through him to be one with each other as his people. And then it goes on as we continue to, to, to work through this. He says, um, he says uh, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him you, and were sealed... Um, with the promised Holy Spirit. And there's this idea, just as we kind of transition there into this idea of being the, the sealed Holy Spirit, I want to acknowledge something that's going on here, okay? For those of us that would really recognize, and some of you have perhaps heard some phrases before, like ordo salutis, the order of salvation, and kind of what comes first, and did we, you know, what did God do? Did we get regenerate, and then justified, and then sanctified, and then adopted, and then called, or how did it all work? What's the order? And some people have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to figure all that out, and what we see when we read this, I'm just going to tap in here to God's word, is I believe he reveals himself to us absolutely, clearly, but he does so in such a way that we cannot put him in a box and think we have it all figured out. And especially as we read through this mantra of praise, right there we see the ordo salutis, okay, the order of salvation. I think this is helpful because as we grow in the Christian faith, we get exposed to some of these things that sometimes can be helpful but sometimes can be really confusing. And I think this is one of them that we read through all this stuff and we wonder, perhaps even in your own life, I'm this way in my own life, like, God, what was the order? Like, I came from a home where you kind of saved me very quickly and, it, and I just, you know, kind of came to faith in you and, but then, and then what was, how did it all work? And, and then I, I began to understand and even now I look back and there's some theology I believed early on that I would completely disagree with now. Well, how does that all work? What's the order? And, and one professor I have, a seminary professor, um, said this, he just actually this week, he said, I think God is much more promiscuous with his love than we are comfortable with. You know, and not just that, and this is a, a professor, a very wise, very godly man, and, and, and he's saying in this case in particular, as I said even last week, when we put doctrine in alien theology, it can be really confusing and really hurtful. And in this case, well, again, remember, this is in the ordo salutis comes in an ordo of praise. I don't even know if that's a phrase, but right, comes in an order of just declaration. Boom, 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 boom. God is good, and look at all these things. You, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were saved, and you believed in him. You were also sealed, and it's, this doesn't lead to, oh, well, how, how did it all go? No, it's just like, God, you are good, and you have broken into my hardened heart, and you have broken into our disunity, and you are calling us together as your people. And so to, to now continue on in the implications of that, we see again here that God seals his people with the promised Holy Spirit. He seals us together. Again, even there, you, as we look at the Holy Spirit, let this be another example, okay? As I asked earlier, how does, how does, the, how does doctrine lead to your actual everyday life? Like, do we relate with one another, with people who are on the right or on the left, right? On the, on the red and the blue and other people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and different ethnicities and, and different, you know, sports 
allegiances and whatever it is, in all honesty, like, do we understand that the same spirit has been given to all of us who call on the name of Jesus? across denominational lines. That's why it's easy for us to pray for other churches, some of whom we would be like, we really don't agree with a lot of stuff that you would say is true, and they would say the same about us, and yet we can pray for them as long as they you know, believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and that he is coming again and that, and that he has sent his Holy Spirit, that his, that, that his word is true and that it's his word and that he sent his same spirit to fill us individually and to lead us corporately as his people. So there's a, a, a seal is, is, is a symbol in this time in the ancient Roman and Greek era of, of, being, of being identified with, of belonging to. Okay, and so there is kind of a wordplay going on here in the same way that the Caesar, right, of Rome would put a seal and you would know this belongs to this, this person from this place, from this, this region, this country. They have this document and it's been sealed. They belong to Caesar and these people in totally different places that have totally different practices and look very different and speak a different language have that same seal. They belong to the same ruler and this is true of God's people sealed together with his Holy Spirit and yet the more clear obvious meaning here is sealed and is in the sense of like enveloped protected right if you've ever gone on a long trip and you have one of those like um little vacuum seal things right to fit more stuff in a in a suitcase right and you and you put like a vacuum on it and then some of you are laughing because you know what this is um I learned these kind of things when I got married. I, I remember back to, I went on a summer trip with um, one of the college ministries here to Mexico City, and um, I brought this bag that was like a three-time hand-me-down, and it barely closed and all this stuff, and I, I'll never forget in Mexico City watching all this stuff, you know, come out the conveyor, and my stuff came out in a giant plastic, like, plastic bag that was tied in a knot. All my stuff right there for the whole world to see um, in this clear plastic bag because my like you know bag it's I tried to cram too much stuff in it the zipper broke they just threw away the bag and then put all my stuff in like a giant <laughs> basically a glorified trash bag and um that was my suitcase but as I got married and you know kind of matured a bit I learned about these other kind of things like you know luggage that works and um and 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 anyway there's this thing where there's like a vacuum seal and then when it's interesting you see it it's like it's tightly it's tightly closed, it's packed in, and, 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 and it's actually hard to open. And that, that's kind of an image we can get here of what it means to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. It, there's an element of, of, of a yes identity with Christ as belonging to him, and then also a sense of being protected by him of being sealed in and this idea that is connected with this, this, this promised inheritance that is to come and, and that this, right, he says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Something we can learn from that, okay, hear me right now, look at me. God always keeps true to his promises. And I know for some of us that's really hard because we feel like some of the promises God has made, we're not living the reality of that. 
for some, whatever it might be, whatever longing of our heart there is that is either unmet or has been taken away or has been damaged or we're now living in a certain place in our life that the idea of Jesus ruling and reigning over all things and promising a glorious inheritance that we get to participate in and then the reality that we're not in that place right now and we say, okay, if you're in charge of all things, if you're ruling over all things, then why? Why is this going on? And I think the most loving, most honest thing I can say to you is I don't fully know. I don't. I don't understand how it all works together. I don't just want to offer, you know, Romans 8, 28, that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, you know, that he just kind of, it's all good. It is all good, but that doesn't mean it's all easy. And yet what the good news, and the good news does not mean simplistic, okay? That doesn't mean, oh, try it, like put on a smile, you know, just pretend. But the good news, the life-anchoring, life-informing, foundation-laying good news of Jesus means that, that even in the heart, even when it's almost impossible to believe, we have reason to trust that he fulfills his promises. One of them we see right here, he had promised to send his Holy Spirit Thousands of years before to his church, these promises had been, had been declared to his people and we get to live in the day where that has been fulfilled. His spirit, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been sealed with his spirit. I, even that again, that makes your mind hurt. And yet he sent his spirit. We we can look through it in in, um, Acts. In Acts chapter one, two, and three, you see the the beginning of God sending his spirit. Again, again, um, what was the the word I used earlier? Um, Promiscuously. He just gave it in full. He lavished it upon us to, or lavished him upon us, his spirit to indwell us and to seal us, to bind us together and to lead us going forward and so you see his promises are fulfilled also we have a cross up here let this always be a reminder okay not every sermon is going to wend itself necessarily to a pastoral moment right where we can kind of talk about the wounds we're experiencing or where we are but there's always this time in our liturgical process right that means what a group of people do when they gather together there's always a sense here when we come together of walking through the story of God which is meant to remind us of the fulfilled promises of our loving God okay we we are called to remember who he is called there's a call to worship if you're late you're out there getting donuts or or, or coffee or whatever it is you're missing out on a part of it There's a reminder of all the other things we've been worshiping and celebrating in our week. And and this, it begins with, and there's like a little bit of grace period, okay? The worship team's up here kind of playing some like jazz riff, you know, they're kind of jamming. But then Stephen, then it comes up on the screen here. There's a call to worship, a reminder of, though we've been worshiping all kinds of other things and our hearts have have been prone to go to all kinds of other things to orient ourselves around that we are called to, to, to remember, oh, great is our God. And then, there's a time, right, where we hear some things of what's going on in the church and how to get, how to get connected, how to get plugged in. And then there's this time where we, we pause and we confess. We confess our sin before our holy and righteous God. And then we don't sit there. And it, and, and it goes pretty long, like two minutes, two-ish minutes. You know, there's room. Um, but we, we give space where it's almost uncomfortable, 
Okay, where it's long enough for us to sit for a moment and remember, but then like a, almost like a, like a pregnant pause, kind of bursting forth, there's this time where, and you even hear it in the tone, and we believe that's the Spirit leading us to this, of saying there's an assurance of grace. We don't sit there in shame. We don't sit there with our heads hung low, okay, though that's what we deserve because of sin. God's promise that he would neither leave us nor forsake us, that he would come and rescue us, that he would break into our brokenness, that he would, that he would rescue a people to himself as called out ones we now have that truth there's an assurance of grace and so we look at the cross and simultaneously we consider the empty tomb of Jesus that God's promises have been fulfilled that we can now stand with great confidence with great assurance that we have been adopted that we have a full inheritance that we get to look forward to receiving and participating in once and for all one day that's the good news of Jesus amen do, do you not see how, how that is meant to inform everything about who we are and how we live our lives? And let me say something, too, that I heard this, this week as I read uh, an older pastor who's in his 70s, and um, he's still pastoring, but he's even retired, and he actually preached on this, and he talked about how his theology over time has changed, how in his early 30s, when he began in ministry, full-time ministry, he, he had this idea of it progressively getting better, even his understanding, his theology of sanctification, which is growing into the likeness of Christ, his understanding was, yeah, it's kind of like if you could picture like a graft where you're getting better, then you have some slip-ups, you go down a little, it gets better, goes down a little, gets better. He says he's kind of thrown that out. And, and, and he says it's consistent with the word as he has read and understood. And he's certainly it's consistent with his own life. As he's read, he says something along the lines of, as I get older, I understand that my emotions and um, and, uh, and, and my strength is more vul vulnerable and more fickle than ever before. And I'll just say that's just, again, really candidly in the last couple months, I've felt that. Like sins that I'm tempted by and ways I'm, I'm prone to, things that I'm prone to do and, 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 and stuff that I feel like is like closing in on me. I look back at almost 20 years ago when I was a freshman in college and I'm like, I feel a lot weaker than I did then. Not just physically, right? Everyone knows that. But like emotionally, um, spiritually. Like I, I, I remember actually a time happening when I was around eighth or ninth grade. I remember we all made this like bold declaration. All of us were Christians. Some of you that grew up in like youth groups kind of did things like this. And there was this thing of like, if you won't, you know, you won't drink, you won't smoke, you know, what is it? or chew or go out with girls who do. And I lived in Arkansas, that was a real thing for us. But, um, <laughs> but it was, um, but honestly, this like idea of like, I'm never gonna do that. And then, and I've shared this before and I'm, I don't wanna make it too big of a deal, but I remember fast forward to my junior year of high school when I had already had thousands of time, you know, quiet times and you know, journaled and prayed and I felt really confident and I boldly stood up like, you know, chest out and I, everyone was, taller than me like now, but I'm like, yeah, me too. Like, I won't do that. And, and I remember the moment driving down from Mount Lemon after I had gotten caught by the police for possession of marijuana. And, um, and, and just, I remember like crying and just thinking how fragile my faith is when it's dependent upon me. And that's, and that is I'm learning and hearing from again, wiser, older people who have gone before me, who I get to learn from and with 
what, what gives you the confidence that you will see it through to the end? What gives you the confidence that you will participate in the glorious inheritance that has been promised? Not your or my strength, but his promise that he is holding on to you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he has sealed you in with the promised Holy Spirit and that you will, again, um, look forward to the, the guarantee of our inheritance. A guarantee, signed, sealed, and delivered. Take it to the bank. You can trust in this. Whatever your world looks like, wherever, however fickle you continue to grow in feeling, let your life be built upon the hope that you have in the promises of Jesus. Right, like that hymn, the, the solid rock. Right, my hope is built no, actually, because you guys know how I am with songs, I actually wrote this one down. And my wife helped me because I actually still got it wrong. Um, right? My, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I forget what I even said. It was like theologically wrong, whatever it was. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, which is the, the evidence of the fulfillment of his promises. And that's good news, and that's what we have to look forward to, and that's what shapes us now and every day until we receive that good news, that glorious inheritance that we look forward to. Amen? Now, as we close, let's pick up with me in, uh, in, verse, um, in verse 14 again. He is the guarantee, the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's been another phrase that has been there time and time and time again throughout this chorus of praise, right? Throughout these, um, however many verses it is, what, 11? Not good at math either. Verses three through 14. The, all the, all the pr- praise and worship that we've seen that's going on, this other idea in him, in Christ, has been there, boom, 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 and then to the praise of his glory. It's all to the praise of his glory that, right, when we say all of life is all for Jesus, when we, when we walk through our liturgical process, we come forward and we take communion and we remember that, that, that though we have wandered and we have not lived all of life to his praise, that even throughout this week we have, we have looked for our glory. We have tried to orient the world around us rather than participating in the world that he is overseeing and the kingdom that he is ushering in and we take communion we remember that that we get to participate, that we are forgiven and that we are now found in Christ. We take the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus and we remember. And, and, and that is a part of, again, remember, and then we respond in singing. And, and if you even are in touch with your own body, sometimes there's different stuff going on in that. There's a sense of joy and a sense of restoration in Christ, of remembering. And then we end, right, with the benediction, the sending out of God's people in response to the good news of Jesus in order to live all of our lives as he created us to live. There's, it's been referred to as the gathering and the scattering of God's people Every week we gather together and then we scatter all to the praise of his glory let me read something to again to kind of wrap up our time with from and I'm going to skip ahead here to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7 where we see this picture okay it's this idea right now that God is flexing his muscle God is showing off if you will he's strutting his stuff and to some people even some very famous kind of Hollywood 
people have been like, which is ironic, I was thinking, which, you know, Hollywood people all about fame, how many, you know, Twitter, Instagram f- followers, whatever, not all of them, but, you know, in general, that's kind of what you think of, and yet a bunch of famous people have, have, have declared or denounced, if you will, their faith in Jesus, have said, I can't follow him because he sounds too arrogant. If it's all about his praise and his glory, then I can't be about him, which, again, I think is a little bit ironic, but as we read this, as we read this, though, look at this, look at this good news, this idea that God flexes muscle. God, God, God cannot withhold his glory. He's all about himself and all about his glory because and through his incredible love. Because he's so loving, he can't let you and I settle for you and me. He can't let us be the, the, ultimate pr- the ultimate center of our universe and be the, 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 the praise of our own glory because left by ourselves, we're not that glorious. Amen? And, and, yet, and yet he knows that our, the very best thing for us is to be found in him, to have the veil removed and to, and to rejoice in his glory and his praise and to, and to go from looking inward to looking upward and to praising him in all his might and all his splendor. And so we see that he, he flexes his muscle through his kindness and his mercy. Look with me in verses four through seven of chapter two. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's that, again, that idea of adoption and of inheritance that we've been talking about. There's a picture there. I can't wait to get there, right, in a few weeks. And so you see that, and he says, um, Eh, I lost my place. The, the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse seven now. Why did he do all that? Why did he lavish his goodness and his kindness? Why did he adopt us? Why does he give us this glorious inheritance to be seated with Christ? Why is he so good and kind? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So he can show off. Not in, a, not in a weird, arrogant, selfish kind of way because he does it. How does he show off? He lays his life down on the cross for undeserving, rebellious people like you and me. He demonstrates his love in that while we're yet sinners, enemies, Christ died for us. But he didn't do it just because it's all about us. No, he did it because it's all about him and his glory and his greatness and his his bigness. So hear me in this, okay? The most loving thing I can say to you, and I want you to hear this in love, not just as like an excuse now to be a jerk, right? Oh, in love, and then you just say mean things. But I honestly think the most pastoral, loving thing that I can say that can shape us as a church is this. It's not about you. It's not about you. He, are you worthy? Are you worth it? Are you worth loving? Are you worth dying for? Absolutely. That doesn't mean you're not worthy because he declared you to be worthy. But it also means that the, everything in our world, from everything we consume, every commercial we look at, every, every way we orient our lives is make it all about us. And the good news, that's what happened when sin enters into the world. We look at ourselves, we're like navel gazers, right? We stare at us, and then the good news of Jesus comes in his glory, even ascending. Where did his followers, where were they left? 
gazing up. So as we close right now, I know I've said that like three times. You're not supposed to do that when you're a communicator, by the way. But as we close, because this is a transition now into our time of response, it's this. In the same way that the great Catholic and Eastern Orthodox architects built these massive structures, yes, they did a bunch of things wrong and all this stuff, but don't, don't just focus on all the wrong things right now, okay? Something I think they got very right. Yes, we meet in a school and it's great. We, we, under, we talk a lot about the approachability of God, about the incarnation of Jesus, right? Con carne, taking on flesh, dwelling among us, entering into our brokenness, entering into our mess, but it's not to leave us there. It's not to, to make us just think it's all about us. There's this idea of architecture and art and music that is meant to direct our worship rightly, to take our eyes off ourselves and to lift our gaze to the glorious one. God's people who are called together and sealed by his spirit and who are promised a guaranteed glorious inheritance for his glory and his praise in Christ. Let's pray and respond. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for your good news. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us enough to enter into our brokenness and our mess, Lord, to to come in, to even humble yourself. But Lord, not to leave us there. God, to die on a cross, to raise from the dead, to ascend, to right now rule and reign over all things from your heavenly throne, and then to promise that you will return and you will usher in the glorious inheritance. Or that we get to participate in, that has been guaranteed for us, that, that we have been sealed and promised and held in, sewn together. So Lord, I pray that right now all of those good news, all of those truths, all of that will inform right now how we respond communally as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.